Could you turn your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3? And I'm going to read verses 1 to 18. Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. So commencing with verse 1. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, of, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene, Anderson Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth forth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he answered unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all the men mused in the hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying, uh, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. Many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. That's a long reading, but we thank the Lord for the reading of his word, just commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you that we're able to <coughs> come to your house today, as we do every Lord's Day, and uh, have the Lord the uh, opportunity to sit under the sound of your word. We thank you that we have our Bibles. We thank you that it's in our language. We thank you that there is no excuse for us not to hear and read your word. And as we hear it today, uh, Father, if there is something that we need to deal with in our hearts. We pray your Holy Spirit would apply this word to our hearts and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's that time of the year when Christmas is finally over. Uh, holidays have ended. 
and we're thinking about the new year. So the question is, how should we, how should we be thinking uh, to prepare what, for what is coming in 2020? How should we be thinking uh, to prepare for what is coming? Well, I had this thought while working through the Gospel of Luke that I thought that I would share today that might apply. The first two chapters of Luke are really about the Christmas story and there's one event in child, Jesus' childhood and so really uh, the first two chapters of Luke are about the Christmas story. But after the Christmas story, Luke turns his attention to John the Baptist and I think it would be good for us to do the same. Christmas is over for us. Uh, what is next for us? Well, let's look to the, what John the Baptist had to say and to the message that he had to give to the people. After our Christmas, I think it, there's a message for us here uh, in John's message that will help us to begin a new year for the Lord. Now, there are three parts to the, the passage that I read, uh, the man, the message and the musing. And uh, in verses 1 to 6, we read about the man now in the 15th year. And uh, he then he tells us about who was ruling in the various places in the empire. Uh, first, uh, Luke therefore gives us a detailed time frame for when John began to preach. We don't have to have any doubt about that. Uh, the Roman emperor was Caesar Tiberius and being in the fifth year of his reign, it was 29 AD, uh, the governors of the four Jewish provinces were Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip and Licinius. Uh, the two Jewish high priests were Annas and Caiaphas, the murderers of Jesus. All of these men were evil and debauched, <laughs> uh, showing that the corruption in the world had risen right to the very top. None of those men were actually good, honest governors. At this time that uh, Luke presents to us here, in this political setting, God raised up an unknown and unlikely prophet named John. And so having given us the time frame, Luke then informed us that this John was the prophet who was foretold would come by Isaiah the prophet uh, 800 years before. Isaiah prophet prophesied that a, a prophet would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And John was, Luke tells us that John was that prophet. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare you the way of the Lord. The Messiah, the Christ, the people had waited for for centuries, was about to reveal himself to his people. John's part was to prepare the people for Christ's coming. And he did that, he was to do that by calling them to repent of their sins and to seek forgiveness and salvation through the coming Christ. His job was to prepare the way so that people would receive the Messiah. And so this is who John was. This is when he ministered. He was ministering in the 29th year of Tiberius and he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Now, this brings us to the message that um, John was to get. It tells us there in verse 3, and he came into the, all the country about Jordan preaching. He came preaching a particular message. Now I want to focus on that message this morning. So I'm going to make that my last point. My second point is now becoming my last point. I want us to look at the message he had to preach last. So I want us to go then down to verse 15 to see my third point. We see the man when 
what time frame he ministered in, that he was the voice of cry, crying in the wilderness. And after all that, uh, that he did and was doing in the Jordan, we read in verses 15 to 18 what I call the musing. And that's not my word, it's the word in verse 15. And as the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. Uh, because of John's amazing successor and the power of his preaching, the people mused, that word is translated reason many times in the Bible, they mused whether he was the Christ. I mean, all the people were flocking to him. He had a powerful message. Was he the Christ? Now, John must have read their thoughts or he must have sensed their, the responses they were making to him, so he, he set them straight. He wasn't the Christ, but... He told them that the Christ was coming and they needed to be ready. John told them that he baptised them with water as a symbol of a change of heart. That's all it was, a symbol, a sign of a change of heart. But when Messiah came, he would baptise them with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And when Messiah came, he, he told them that he would sort the wheat from the chaff. He would sort out those who were saved and those who would be lost. And hence it was important for the people to heed John's message to be ready for when Messiah came. He's on his way. You need to prepare your hearts for the Messiah when he comes. And hence he preached this particular message we find in verses 7 to 14. So having seen the man and the musings, he wasn't the Christ. <coughs> We read in verses 7 to 14 his message. Now, his message is first mentioned in verses 2, 3 and 6. I'll just read those verses. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, at that time the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, in verse 3, and he came into all the country of Jordan. And what was he preaching? Preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. When it was time for John to prepare the people for the coming of Christ, John went through all the Jordan Valley preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And he also associated it with the obtaining of salvation. Now, as you know, baptism simply mean, means to be immersed. It's like taking a bath. It's not a sprinkle. It's a bath. <laughs> Baptism was, and it still is, a normal part of Jewish religious life. J Jewish people today still take mikvahs. They still take baptisms for all sorts of ritual cleansing. And so this was not an unusual thing for John to be calling people to be baptised to show as, as a sign of, 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 of repentance. So for the, for the people of Judea, here was a prophet like Elijah promising remission promising forgiveness of sins. And it seems uh, all they had to do, all the people had to do, was let John immerse them in the river. If he immersed them in the river, God would forgive their sins. It all sounded pretty good. Good deal. You see, it must have been this promise of forgiveness that caught the attention of the religious people of Judea. The people of Judea were religious. Uh, this was their Jew the whole culture, the was uh, religious to do with the temple and with the testament. And the, they were religious, but they were extremely wicked. <laughs> and so this is what must have uh, caught their attention. Uh, he was a prophet 
like Elijah, promising that they could be forgiven if they were baptised. It was the promise of forgiveness of sins uh, that uh, drove many Christian knights in the Middle Ages, if you know anything of the story of the Crusades. Uh, the promise of forgiveness was, was given to many Christian knights in the Middle Ages if they joined the Crusades to the Holy Land. Uh, the popes promised these violent and, and wicked men forgiveness for their many sins if they took up the sword for Rome. So they could continue killing, continue their wicked ways and at the same time be forgiven for their sins. So they thought this was a bonus. They had this sense of guilt because Rome was, and Roman Catholicism was such a huge part of, uh, of, their, of their life. They, they did sense guilt and judgment might be upon them because of their terrible deeds. But here was the Pope offering. If they take up the sword for the Pope, go to the Holy Land, the Pope would give them forgiveness of sins. It's no wonder so many signed up to kill for the Pope and get rich and earn salvation while doing it. What a bonus. What a deal. Well, this was a similar result of John's preaching in the Jordan Valley. There, there had to be a reason why so many people flocked to John to be baptised. Many religious but wicked people in Judea thought he was offering, um, thought that what he was offering was, was forgiveness of sins and salvation just by taking a dunk in the river. Many in Judea had committed terrible sins and there would have been this, this, this foreboding of divine judgment. So this was, this was welcome news, uh, that this new prophet could release them from the punishment of their sins if they simply let him baptise them in the river. Again, what a bonus. Uh, all of their sins forgiven just by taking a dip in the river. You know, Mark 1.5 says there were crowds that went out for him to be baptised. So this must have been the reason for it. Uh, Mark says, and they went out to him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptised of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so I can imagine lines of ex excited Judeans lining up at the banks of the Jordan River, waiting their turn. And you know, nothing has really changed since those days. Many over this, over this weekend in our own city, like our cities all around the world, many will line up at some Catholic altar to eat a piece of the body of Jesus, thinking that eating that piece of the body of Jesus will save them. That little ritual of eating that little wafer will give them forgiveness. Nothing's changed. And I'm sure this is what many hope for as they flock to John to be baptised. Remission of sins, salvation by works. So imagine their surprise when they flocked to John at what John said to them when they got there. We read this in verses 7 to 9. Then he said to the multitudes, see it's a multitude, just crowds of people that came forth to be baptised of him. What did he say to them? Oh, well done. You know, oh yeah, sign your lot, you know. No, he said, oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. John called them a generation of vipers. Now just as an aside... 
It was interesting to find out that the word vipers is the Greek word echidna, exactly the same spelling. But this here doesn't refer to a spiky anteater. It, it, it refers to a poisonous snake. John didn't mince his words. He said to you guys, these people who had come to him to be baptised, he said, you are a bunch of snakes. He could see through the false professions of many of these people. And he asked them who it was that, who had warned them of the wrath to come. Now the emphasis here in John's question was on the word you. Who hath warned you, you Jews? Who would warn you of the wrath to come? John asked them who would warn them, the Jews, the children of Abraham, that they, even they, were to be judged. Edersheim wrote this. It was the common notion of the time that the vials of wrath were to be poured out only on the Gentiles, while they, as Abraham's children, were sure of escape. In the words of the Talmud, at night, that night was only to the nations of the world, but the morning to Israel. And so the, the, the common thought and the common teaching was that when God brought this great wrath upon the world, all who were the children of Israel, by, just, uh, just by birth, would be free from the wrath and the judgment to come. But I wonder if that notion of Israel escaping judgment was now being questioned by the people in Judea. It would explain why they were coming in such numbers to John. You see, Israel at this time was under Roman rule. It was under the Roman whip. And perhaps they were thinking God's wrath is on Israel after all. We are the children of Abraham. We will be punished for our sins and so perhaps God's wrath is on Israel and, and, and we do need to change and so as the people came down John, uh, John again just uh, pointed them to this fact that really God's wrath was upon all who have sinned not just the Gentiles and John left them in no doubt about um, that God's wrath was upon their sin he told them that their faith in being Abraham's seed wasn't going to save them. He told them that the axe of God's judgment was ready to chop even at the root, and that root was Abraham. They were his children. They were the, the current generation. They were the trees of their generation that had come from the Abrahamic stock. But whoever they were, even though they were of Abraham's seed, if any tree didn't bear good fruit, John warned it would be cast down. They might have been frightened of judgment and looking for an easy fix, a religious fix. This is the way they would have thought. Oh, right, perhaps uh, the Romans uh, are uh, inhabiting us, they're troubling us, perhaps God's judgment in on us, perhaps we do need to change. What, what do we need to do to, 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 to escape God's wrath? Well, this, this prophet, uh, he's offering, if we get baptised, God will forgive our sins. And so they were looking for a religious fix. Just go down to the Jordan have John baptise you and you can escape God's judgment. But when they got there, John told them it would take more than a ritual washing to get right with God and be ready for the coming Messiah. What they needed to do is what he said in verse 8, bring therefore, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. That's what they needed to do. Now there are two things in view of in what John said was needed. First, they needed to repent. And the word, the word repent simply means to have a change of mind. Uh, Fraser explained it very, very well last Sunday. 
uh, the first mention of the word repent in the Bible is when God repented. And so it's just chain, a change of mind. Now for a sinner, <coughs> and for these Jews, this meant that they had to have a change of mind about their sin and their rebellion. So firstly they needed to repent, but then they needed to bring fruits worthy of repentance. And the fruits were the ways that they could show that, the, that, that they would, had truly repented. The fruit would be the evidence they had truly repented. It's much like as when James told his Jewish readers, they said, look, we'll show you our faith without our works. But James said, no, I will show you my faith by my works. If there is true faith, then there should, it should show in works of faith. Equally, and this is what, um, is what John was pointing these people to, equally, if we have genuine repentance, it should produce fruit in our lives worthy of repentance. People should be able to see that we have had a change of mind about this thing or that thing by our actions or our attitudes. Fruits worthy of repentance. This was the message John gave the multitude who gathered to be baptised at the banks of the Jordan. Remission of sins isn't about the baptism. It's about the repentance. Baptism is just a sign of repentance. They thought that forgiveness was about just getting baptised. No, that's not, that's not what it's about. Forgiveness is about the repentance. And for repentance to lead to forgiveness, it should show in the fruit. That was the message he gave here to these Jews. Now, we mustn't take John's message out of its context. Um, <clears throat> the only way for these Jewish people to be saved and forgiven and to escape the wrath to come was for them to accept Christ and believe in him when he came. Only he could baptise with the Spirit and give life to people. John's job was to prepare people's heart to receive the Christ when he came. And the way to prepare was for them to repent, have a change of mind about their lives and their sin, and show fruits of repentance, proof that they had repented. Now when John explained this to his audience, some must have understood and wanted to do the right thing. And so Luke gives three responses to what John said from the crowd. In verse 10 we read the response of the people. And the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? If uh, we must show fruits of repentance, what are those fruits that we must do? What shall we do then? Uh, in verse uh, 12, he, came, he shows the response of the publicans. Then came also publicans to be baptised and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And then, strangely enough, uh, a third group came to him, the soldiers, in verse 14, and the soldiers likewise demanded him, saying, And what shall we do? Three groups. Luke reports three groups that came to, uh, to John to say, Well, okay, we have to show fruits of repentance. What is it that we need to do? Three groups asked the same question. What shall we do? Three groups asking the same question question but, but God, John gave each of them a different answer a different answer that an answer that was unique to who they were 
And this shows us that repentance is an individual thing. What you need to repent of and what I need to repent of might be completely different things depending on who we are or what our hearts are like. Repentance is an individual thing. And this is where I want us to find an application today as we begin this new year for the Lord. Is there something that you and I need to repent of to begin this year with a clean heart? And how can I show that I truly have repented? What fruit do I need to produce as, as a fruit of repentance? All sinners need to repent in order to be saved. We know that. Repent and believe. But once we're saved, repentance should be a natural part of the Christian life. As we read God's word, he shows us some sin to confess. Or we realise some attitude that needs to change. We might go to church and it's like the preacher's been reading our mail and we're sitting there under conviction. And in our hearts we might be, and maybe even in our prayers, we express that change of mind. Oh Lord, I, I repent of this thing. But if there's no fruit of that repentance, there's no change in our attitude or in our, what we're doing, then have we, we must ask the question, did I really repent? If I, did I really repent? Did I really have a change of mind if there is no fruit of repentance? John showed three groups of people what they needed to repent of and the fruit it should produce. Maybe there's something... Uh, for us in those three groups. Let's have a look. In verse 10, we read, uh, And the people asked him, the people, What shall we do then? What was his answer? Verse 11, And he answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Now we have to read between the lines, but clearly the sin the people were committing was selfishness. They were selfish. And over and over again in the Old Testament, uh, command, uh, people, God's people are commanded to care for the poor. Uh, you know, it's one of those things on God's heart and those people he gives uh, uh, give money to or opportunity to, God always wants us to care for the poor. This is what the people needed to repent of. They were neglecting the poor because they were selfish. The fruit the people needed to produce to show true repentance was to provide for the needs of the poor. It, they might have, uh, John might have said that, oh yes, we, I have a change of mind, I'll repent of that. Okay, so the next time you meet a man who's got no coat and you've got two, well, if you've truly repented, you'll give him one of those coats. Or if you meet a man who's hungry and you've got plenty of food, the next time when you meet that man, you'll give him food uh, to show that you truly have repented. These are the fruits of repentance, the proof that we have indeed repented. And so what the people ask, what shall we do? He said, stop being selfish, help the poor. If they wanted God to show mercy to them, then they needed to show mercy to others. In verse 12, we see the response to the, the publican's question. Now, the publicans aren't the pub, they aren't the guys running the pubs. <laughs> the publicans were the tax collectors. They were working for the enemy. They were working for the Romans and uh, trying to uh, you know, uh, take, take up the taxes that the Romans demanded. Uh, so it says, Then came the publicans to be, to be baptised and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. 
again, we have to read through, uh, th through the lines, but uh, between the lines, but it's very clear that what was happening here. It was well known in those times that the many tax collectors used their authority to enrich themselves illegally. Well, we all know the story of Zacchaeus. This was the sin that they needed to repent of, this, of this uh, enriching themselves illegally at the, at the expense of others. They needed to repent of that, uh, but to receive forgiveness for that, they needed to produce the fruit of honesty. Oh, yes, I shouldn't be doing that. I repent of that, but they still keep doing the same thing. Have they really repented of it? John said no. For there to be true repentance, there needs to be the fruit to show that you truly have changed the mind. And so he told these publicans they needed to be honest and not abuse their authority by taking advantage of people. It's good, good advice for all of us. And then lastly, the response of the soldiers in verse 14, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, and what shall we do? And this is an interesting answer. He said unto them, do, no violence, to, do violence to no man. <laughs> they were soldiers in the Roman army. It was their whole life, violence. He said unto them, do no violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, Roman soldiers were known to, the, to be violent outside the context of battle. And I can understand it must have been hard when you're, you're standing in that line and you're fighting against an enemy. You can see him there and, and it's blood everywhere. And violence is, is just your job. To then sort of come out and go back, uh, back home after a war, a fight or a, uh, in, in, out of the context of battle uh, to not be violent. But this is what John said they needed to do. The, the, the sin was they were being violent outside of the context of the battle. They were often cruel. The Roman soldiers were cruel and they would falsely accuse a person for personal gain, sort of lord it over them. And they were notoriously known for not being content with their wages. Uh, but that was often the case because their leaders didn't pay their wages, but they were notoriously known for not being content. And so these were the three sins these soldiers needed to be repent of. Unchecked violence, cruelty, uh, accusing people falsely and not being content with their wages. Perhaps there's uh, some sin of those sins that, that uh, perhaps you need to repent of too. But, but the proof of true repentance to show that they had repented of these sins was in what they did. The fruit was to do no violence, to not accuse falsely and to be content. So these were the sins of the people, the publicans and the soldiers. These were the sins they needed to repent of and show the fruit of repentance. So to finish, just briefly, I thought I'd just add some, some groups that you might ident identify with. You might, uh, well, you're a people. <laughs> uh, you might not be a soldier or a publican. So here's a, here's a group you might identify with. Uh, Christian. Are you a Christian? Well, let me ask you, is there some sin or some neglect or some bitterness that God has been convicting you about? Uh, perhaps you realise the need to repent, and perhaps you do repent in, in your heart or in, in your prayer time, but you stumble at bearing the fruit of repentance. So, you need to ask, what, ask the Lord, what do I need to do to show that I have had a change of mind? It's not enough to say I have a I've repented of this. Well, show us the fruit 
what have you, what's changed in the way you speak or the way you act or how you treat people, whatever that attitude is, the Lord has touched your heart about. Ask the Lord, what must I do to show the fruits of repentance? Here's another group you might identify with. Husbands and wives. <laughs> are there attitudes you need to repent of that are straining your marriage? What do you need to do to get right with your spouse? It's not enough just to say, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. No, if you're truly sorry, if there's true repentance, then it should change the way you act or the way you speak or whatever it is that's causing the offence. Here's another group. Teenagers and children, what are your attitudes towards your parents? Do you argue with your parents? Or do you cause them some concern? Is this something that you need to get right because of your attitude to your parents? If so, then ask the Lord, what must I do? Not just sort of, oh, sorry, sorry, Mum, sorry. Dad. No, what change are you going to make to show that you truly have repented of that attitude? I mean, we could all choose a group that we can identify with and ask the Lord, is there something I need to repent of? And how can I show it by my changed behaviour? Because that's what God wants. Repentance and the fruit of repentance. Faith plus works. Showing my, my faith by my work. Showing my repentance by my fruit. We who are saved... We repent one day, but in the face of some difficulty or some temptation, we fall into the same sin and failure, don't we? So when that conviction comes and we, we repent, let's also ask the Lord, what must I do? What must I do? What actual thing must I do or change? What fruit should I produce, be produced from my repentance? Because you see, if there's no fruit, is there really true repentance? Gypsy Smith was an American evangelist. Pretty colourful one, I'd imagine, I've heard. And this, is what, this is a little story he told. He said, when I was in South Africa, a fine, handsome Dutchman came into my meeting. God laid his hand on him and convicted him of sin. The next morning, he went to the beautiful home of another Dutchman and said to him, do you recognise that old watch? Well, yes, answered the other. They are my initials. That is my watch. I lost it eight years ago. How did, it get, how did you get it? And how long have you had it? I stole it, was the reply. What made you bring it back now? I was converted last night, was the answer. And I have brought it back first this morning. If you had been up last night, I would have brought it to you then. And so that is a, someone who has truly repented of a sin and borne the fruit of that repentance. The fruit was to take the watch back and own up for his sin. This is what God requires of his people, to keep a us ourselves right with him and right with each other to repent of sins and to produce the fruit of that repentance so how should we be thinking to prepare for the coming the coming year new year well let's start the year with getting our lives right with the lord and right with each other if that's what we need to do let's pray heavenly father we do thank you for uh, your word uh, that is always pressing us to, to, to live right before you and before others. And Father, I pray if there, there's someone here today and uh, Father, they've been struggling with some sin or some neglect or some attitude, 
whatever it might be, Lord. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just lay that upon their hearts, but not just that they will say, oh, yes, that I need to get that right. I pray that they might make the uh, Lord to truly repent of that, have a change of mind about it, and make the Lord uh, produce the, the fruit that is needed uh, to make that change permanent in their lives. Whatever our need might be, whatever the, we need to do before you, I pray that, Father, we would be willing to, to do what you tell us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.